This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. All right, welcome back to another episode of Transparency, everybody. Uh, Aaron Kimberly is out today, so I am taking the reins on my own here. I am joined, though, uh, with Laura. I know Laura from uh, Twitter, uh, uh, formerly on a, on a pretty well-known account, um, uh, then was uh, uh, sadly suspended or actually entirely banned, as, as Twitter likes to do. Um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, she has joined me today to talk about, uh, well, the fact that she uh, transitioned and detransitioned uh, well before it was cool, actually. Um, so she got a kind of a unique, uh, unique story to tell. So, uh, Laura, if you want to introduce yourself from here. Okay. Hi, I'm Laura. And um, yeah, I know you from Twitter. Uh, I had, you know, about 5,000 followers and an account with my real name and my picture um, until spring of last year. And um, then I got permanently suspended for saying things like gender dysphoria is a mental illness, um, which people reported for being transphobic. And then I, um, I had like a side account. It was like an anonymous side account, a little Ludwig von Reitzenstein account. But that was deboosted, so I wasn't really using it, and I didn't really like um, being manipulated by uh, Twitter. You know, not being able to get messages through to people, so I was just like, "Screw this!" And I had also um, kind of gotten sick of some of the dynamics on like gender critical Twitter in the mm-hmm. months up to um, my permanent suspension. So I had announced a few times that I was going to take a break. And I think a lot of people just thought I was like off having a break. And so I'd finally decided instead of like raging um, at uh, Twitter for, you know, uh, taking away my account and my followers, I might as well just actually take a break. And um, also some of the uh, some of the things that had been leading me to consider wanting to take a break, um, you know, were, uh, you know, played a role in me deciding to just basically not come back. Like I was sort of feeling like, um, because I didn't feel like I could be like a role model D trans woman, like maybe it would be better to, um, be, um, spending more of my time and energy someplace where it was so toxic that there's no way I could possibly have a negative effect. Um, and that's discord. I recently started using discord and I was like, well, like I can really let it all hang out here. And, um, discord is more toxic than Twitter. I guess it would depend on the discord. Well, it's in a different way. It's, it's, it's different. I mean, Twitter is like one platform, right. With everyone interacting on it. Whereas discord is like a haunted house with (laughs) corridors that appear and disappear. And um, it's actually kind of horrifying because there's a lot of minors on there who are being exposed to a lot of grooming. And um, I actually saw a lot of very disturbing things happening. Um, So I was sort of like, I went there partially um, to get away from GC Twitter because I knew some interesting um, self-aware AGPs who had, Discord servers, and there's also a, a D-Trans Discord server, although I was never really that active there. So I was sort of like, okay, this is cool. This is different than Twitter. But then I started hearing about all these notorious, um, you know, uh, servers where 
Um, lots of young teen ROGD boys were apparently getting groomed and what they call pink pilled, which is when you pressure someone into going on HRT. And uh, so I was like, I need to like do some investigative journalism, stick around here, figure out what's going on and then like tell everybody about it. But the longer I stayed, the more I realized there's really like, this is just like some sort of a circle of hell. Like, I don't think I can really write some piece to inform people about this and have that have a positive effect. I mean, what would I be trying to do? Get it shut down? I'm not trying to get it shut down. What I ended up deciding to do was actually to, um, to try to uh, start um, a server that would be an alternative. And um, uh, I, so I made a, um, a server, which is not a DTRANS server, but it's like an AAP, AGP server, but it's, it's in, it's basically all young AGPs, some of whom are DTRANS, some of whom are people who have been um, doing their best to avoid the uh, social pressure to transition. And, um, uh, and they uh, have been bouncing around between these various servers. And a lot of them are people who have been on 4chan and um, none of the people who hang out in my server are underage though. I, I tried to go into some of the servers with the underage kids to try to like kind of pull them out of there and let them know that they were being groomed, but then I would get banned right away. And then pretty soon I became notorious that, you know, I, I'm like this, um, uh, who, who was that, that woman who would go with the, um, uh, the hatchet, who would go into bars and break all the bottles of booze? I have no um, idea. <laughs> she's, she's this is great. This is this is like in the 19th century or whatever. But people are like, "Oh no, here comes Ludwig!" Like, okay. You know? <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, I can't, I can't do anything about all this crazy stuff that's going on. All I can do is try to create my own little oasis of you know relative sanity where people can talk about um, you know not wanting to transition and not have people." try to talk them into wanting to transition because that was what was happening in a lot of servers. And, um, you know, and there was also servers, some of which are no longer exist because they come and go, um, right? Um, uh, where there were some very, very interesting um, conversations going on, very interesting um, research that people were doing, um, you know, uh, sort of citizen scientists, you know, trying to um, study um, you know, what, um, you know, motivates people, you know, sexually, you know, what are paraphilias, what is autogynephilia, what, you know, all asking these kinds of questions, trying to gather data, making surveys, people doing very interesting things. Um, and, you know, this is and, again, and, by Discord? yeah, on Discord, yeah, and okay. a tremendous diversity of opinions, you know, people who are very um, skeptical of, uh, transition, also people who were very, very pro-transition, but able to talk to each other and um, not um, be attacking each other, like on Twitter. And um, so I enjoyed participating in those servers. And even though I, um, I tended to um, think that they were insufficiently um, transition critical to be like a, a good environment for somebody who is like struggling and easily influenced and maybe young for somebody who is old and old enough to, you know, know what they want and to not be easily influenced. I think that kind of a free speech environment is a positive thing, but I wanted to make my server more of like a sort of a safe space for people who are falling more into the ROGD boy category who would otherwise, um, 
sort of not be able to keep themselves afloat if they were in a server um, that had too much free speech. Because um, if somebody is, you know, a self-aware adult um, AGP and knows they don't want to transition, they can talk to people who are like trying to talk up transition. It's not going to convince them that they need to transition. But if someone is, you know, um, a 19-year-old confused boy in that same environment, it might not really be so great. So I tried mm -hmm. to make a server someplace where people can talk about um, AGP, which you can't really talk about in like a DTrans server because unfortunately it's become very like controversial. People think that, you know, if you're AGP, that that means you're a sexual predator and that kind of thing. And so I was like, okay, I wanna have a server where people can actually talk about AGP and they can talk about that kind of stuff that might be um, too um, off topic or um, triggering or just stigmatized and poorly understood in like the DTrans server, but it's gonna be a transition critical server. It's going to be right. a server that um, doesn't allow, you know, pink pilling. You know, if people do that, I'll kick them out. And I'm just going to moderate this. It's going to be my own little dictatorship. Uh, it's not a free speech zone. And um, and the people who are in some of these other servers, not the groomer servers, but the ones where there's interesting conversations going on, but also um, a lot of pro-transition stuff. If they want to come visit, they can. But if they start saying pro-transition stuff, I'm just going to kick them out because that's not what the server's for, you know? And if someone wants to be in another server like that, they can. So it's kind of interesting. You have the the opportunity, unlike on Twitter, to have like your own little like salon, like a literary salon, you know what I mean? Where like one or two people can run a server and they can have like a sort of a curated kind of um, vibe and content. It's like, you know, like a private club. And so it's kind of amazing, you know, and kind of fun. And I enjoyed doing that. But um, then you also know that at the same time, there's all these other servers where maybe there's horrible things happening. It's like being in like a crack hotel and like, you know, in your room, maybe like the vibe is okay, but like people could like be having terrible things happening to them and you might like hear it through the wall, but like, it's, you know, it's really, I mean, it's, it's really um, not a good place. And it's unfortunate at first I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, you know, this would be a good place for people to come. I want to invite people who I know from other places here. And then the longer I stay there, I was like, you know what? It's better to just not even have a Discord account. Because even if you're trying to just stay in the like good servers, people are coming and going. And like, um, but that also was, was educational for me because I saw a few people who I had seen on Twitter who act a certain way there. And I saw them in some of these Discord servers acting in different ways. And I was like, wow, like, you know, this is really weird. Cause I'm like the same pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's, uh, you know, I mean, that was a, you know, I first started, like I, I got my Twitter account. It would have been just a little over two years ago. It would have been December, 2019. And that was when I started talking about my, my detransition. I got my Twitter account. I made my YouTube account. And I did that interview with Benjamin Boyce um, all right around the same time, right? You know, in winter um, 2019, um, uh, 2020. So um, it's been just a little yeah. over two years. But and, you would actually, you would actually detransition many years previously, correct? Yeah, yeah. I detransitioned like 15 years previously. Um, I detransitioned in, um, uh, in um, I guess it would have been 2006. Um, 
Although in the, the very beginning of it, like after my, my chest got botched and stuff, like I didn't even know that I was detransitioning. I had just sort of like basically given up on life and, okay. um, you know, and then fortunately that turned into me detransitioning instead of something, you know, worse than that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, um, you know, but like the, what I wanted to say though about voice, like, um, I, when I did my interview with him, like I still, I, I had just been finding out about, um, you know, Blanchard's two type typology and other like Neo Blanchardian's attempts to um, analyze and expand and deconstruct that. And, you know, uh, what autoandrophilia is, if that's even a thing, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know um, which way was up really with that. I, I, all I knew is, is I was, being rapidly encountered with new information and trying to use that to analyze what my experiences in the past had been and how I had ended up where I was. But at the same time, like, I didn't really know what to make of it because what drew me to wanting to even talk about my experience with the trans stuff was that I was horrified by um, um, my mother's transing their young children which was something that I had discovered um, as I became a mother myself. And also um, then encountering, you know, these young D-trans women and initially feeling like um, I wanted to like help them. And then I just sort of realized like, I can't help them, but they're helping themselves. And like, this is something great that people are like actually finally talking about this. And then, you know, as I was getting to know them more, realizing that, um, my experiences were like less universal than maybe I had thought. And that okay. probably most of them didn't have autoandrophilia, or at least not to the degree that I did, um, and that their experiences were, were kind of different also with their detransition. Like I, after detransitioning, basically was celibate, um, but I saw other people who were detransitioning and actually getting into relationships and like, that made me very happy for them. And I hope that most of them will have a better experience and be able to like move on maybe in some ways that like, I guess I never did. Um, so it was interesting, you know, to see all that and, um, you know, um, starting to uh, become aware then, you know, over time how, um, uh, you know, autogynephilia and, um, you know, autoandrophilia were being misrepresented and stigmatized, um, you know, and how you had this really kind of a weird alliance of, you know, conservatives who were like potentially homophobic and then like radical feminists originating people who were like the only people who would listen to detransitioners, but also had their own really extreme um, agenda. Uh, agenda um, and, and baggage that they were bringing to the table that then detransitioners who were just looking for support were like internalizing in ways that for some of them might be really harmful, but like not really even knowing what to make of that, still trying to figure out myself, like, you know, what, what exactly, um, you know, motivated all of this. And I, I mean, I knew from when I detransitioned that a big part of it had been what I at the time thought of as like a fetish, you know, and then also that, you know, I'm a sex addict and um, I got addicted to opiates after I detransitioned and then I got clean. And um, what really helped me actually was what I learned about addiction in NA, Narcotics Anonymous. And that was like, for me, very applicable because I don't, I don't feel like 
I feel like for me, like autoantrophilia is a big part of my sexuality. And I don't think that it is a, that it is necessarily um, something that's problematic. I think mm-hmm. it can be if it's combined with a sex addiction. I don't think it's even a, a, deg- a matter of degree. Like, I don't think being more auto um, androphilic or autogynophilic means you're going to have um, more problems with sexual compulsion and things like that. I think they're two separate factors. And I really would like to see it um, uh, acknowledged that way. Like you could see like a multi-factor, like if it was like a, a diagnosis, which I don't think it, it, it necessarily needs to be, but I really feel like autogynophilia or autoantrophilia is something that's more like, it's a big part of somebody's sexual orientation. Um, uh, or it can be just an interest, a paraphilic interest. Somebody could have um, a a little bit of autogynophilia or autoantrophilia, but also be very into just um, regular attraction toward, um, you know, men or women to the point where um, unless they are getting conditioned into focusing on the um, autogynophilia or autoantrophilia, it really shouldn't be something that would prevent them from just having regular, you know, relationships and, and, and stuff. But what's happening then is in the trans scene is that people are getting groomed into making that their identity and then transitioning um, physically, which then um, makes it pretty much, um, you know, impossible for them to move on from something that if they were only just discovering it, um, you know, at a young age, and then, you know, um, accepting it as part of their sexuality, but not um, seeing it as a reason that they need to permanently change their body and medicalize themselves. Mm-hmm, they could have maybe mm-hmm. either just sort of grown out of as they focus more on their partner or incorporated it into their sexuality with their partner or partners in a way that didn't require having to medicalize themselves. Um, you know, so people aren't getting those options. But w- when you have somebody who autoantrophilia or autogynophilia is like pretty much a very main part of their sexuality and there isn't much else, which is the case for me. Um, like, I feel like I wasn't sure because I went through this experience of having transitioned and then detransitioned, I could never tell how much of my problem with being able to find a partner had to do with just being an autistic woman, how much of it had to do with being a detransitioner who had changed myself physically during my transition to the point where a lot of men were not going to be attracted to me. Um, you know, and how much of it had to do with the fact that I had this autoantrophilia thing, you know what I mean? And, um, uh, which caused me to, um, have a lot of shame and like, I didn't know, you know, cause I traumatized myself with my transition, you know, um, you know, and then, you know, uh, so I didn't know, like, is this something, this is something like, innate? Is this thing I can overcome? And like, I really wanted to overcome it because for me, I also had the, the additional factor of being, you know, an addict, like I have an addictive personality. So for me, sex, even if I didn't have autoantrophilia, and if I was some theoretically other person, I could have just been a sex addict, you know, without the autoantrophilia and the transition, you know, and that would have been just as much of a problem for me. Um, if I had, you know, um, uh, you know, had, you know, um, a different, um, you know, uh, se- a different kind of sexual orientation. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Sexual orientation itself is inherently 
um, a, uh, you know, a paraphilic disorder. Like I think a paraphilic sexual orientation, a paraphilic interest that needs to be not seen as being the same necessarily as having like, you know, a paraphilic, you know, disorder, but the whole concept of a paraphilic disorder, I feel like is kind of problematic because it implies that the disorder is somehow inherent in the paraphilia. And I don't, I don't see that. I see it as more like you've got this atypical sexuality and then you've got sex addiction and it's the combination and then maybe with some additional things, like if someone's autistic, if someone has a personality disorder, that can make it even harder for them to manage that addiction in a way so it isn't spilling out all over the place. And, and the people who have a combination of all those things are typically what's seen. You know, that's what's visible. And that's what gets so much uh, negative attention and what does, you know, so much harm to families and whatnot when you've got, you know, typically, uh, you know, autogynephilia. So you've got somebody with, with AGP who also may have low impulse control about their sexuality or a tendency towards addiction and sex addiction. And then if you add a personality disorder, such as narcissism, narcissism on top of that, that's when you get the kind of people who tear down their lives in the name of their, of their sexuality. But you're saying that, that that's not like what more often is what we don't see. And that is the people who have this paraphilia that they can manage incorporate into their lives without you know, wrecking their, themselves and their family? Yeah, I mean, I think the vast, vast majority of people, um, and, and I'm basing this also now on having, I've spent the last like nine months in basically almost, basically like in male-only spaces, except this time I wasn't intruding on gay men's sacred space. This time I was hanging out in Discord with AGPs. So basically all men, and I've been observing them, and there are some very screwed up people who really want to, you know, um, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, basically, you know, harm others through, you know, the pink pilling of young people and stuff, but mostly just really chill, normal people trying to deal with having an atypical sexuality. And for some people that means transitioning for some people, um, it, it doesn't, but the, the thing though, with the transitioning, um, is that that is what has created the problem really. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you would have had only a handful of like um, people back in the day who were cross-dressers who really went off the rails and caused problems for other people. Um, that, that is really not a common thing. Most people really would have it under control. The issue is um, this cultural um, idea, um, you know, uh, that the people can actually, you know, be born in the wrong body, you know, and change and or change their sex, or they really are the sex they see themselves as in their dreams or whatever. And that is what actually has created all mm -hmm. those problems. It's not, um, and, 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 uh, you know, it's just, it's absolutely not fair to blame it. It's, it's like, it's as if, um, you know, it, it would be like, I mean, cause the whole society has imbibed this toxic brew. So it would be like, yeah. if everyone was being forced to drink alcohol, then blaming the people who then, if they have alcohol go crazy, but like they didn't choose to drink it. We're all being like force fed this gender ideology. And if you have AGP or AAP and you don't know what that is and you're exposed to the gender ideology and, um, and part of that is that you're told that um, uh, you're supposed to indulge in like exhibitionism and that if you have any sense that you're doing something wrong that's internalized transphobia, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're being, you're being groomed into, um, violating other people's boundaries. And, um, you know, I know that that was 
you know, my experience, you know, I, um, you know, when I was, uh, you know, doing things like going into a gay male sauna where they didn't want me, I mean, I thought I was like a hero, you know, but, the, but I, and I that also was, that was previous to kind of trans ideology or, or gender ideology, no, no, which no, told no, that's you. The thing. People, see, people seem to think that this got invented like recently. No, at the turn of the millennium it was already there, but it was like a very small and, um, you know, and I was part of that. And, okay. and but, you know, I have to be like, I feel like I have to be careful when I talk about it. Sometimes I feel like I'm like that retarded guy who confessed to like a hundred murders because the detectives kept buying him sandwiches, you know? I mean, I, I'm such a small fry. I really, you know, it's not like I had a big impact on this shit. You know, it's not like right. I'm one person, but, but, and, and that's, that's part of my, 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 I guess my narcissism. I have these narcissistic traits. I don't have narcissistic personality disorder. I've been checked out for that. I really don't. Um, if I, if I, um, if I did, um, you know, then, um, you know, I would say that I, I went and I got myself checked out and I, I don't have narcissistic personality disorder, but I, I have like small end narcissism, you know, thinking that I'm more important than I am. And like, um, uh, you know, and I, and I think, you know, when I think back in that period of time, I mean, it's like a combination of like, just a lot of shame and, 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 and guilt, but also like, kind of like awe, like, you know, you know, that I was, um, you know, that I did some of the things that I did, you know what I mean? Like I was mm -hmm. just, you know, cause I really was sort of like ahead of my time or whatever, but there were other people who were there. And like, one of the things that I find so unfortunate about Twitter is you have this, this kind of like cluster B cluster fuck of people attacking each other. And I don't want to do that. Like there's, but I also don't want to feel like I can't criticize anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, but I don't want to take other people's inventory, but it's just, it's kind of weird. It's like, if I come out and I say, you know, Hey, you know, I have autoandrophilia and you know, um, I'm a sex addict. And, you know, when I, you know, was in my late teens and early twenties, I did some things that I regret. And then I talk about those things. Um, people are like, Oh my God, you're the most horrible person ever, you know? But then if I was like it, but if I framed it differently, if I, if I was like, Oh, I'm this, like this cool, you know, um, person who never did anything wrong, you know? Um, and everybody else is just fucked up. Um, you know what I mean? Um, then people would be like, who does that help? you're so cool, you know, like you're so, you know, but, but um, I don't know. I kind of, and I just, I guess I should try to like have a conversation with him um, about it. But like, I, I, I sometimes wish that um, a certain other person who was around at that time, who was not a small fry, who had a tremendous influence actually on what was going on um, you know uh, in, in the lesbian um, community with, really what you could call pink pilling, you know, promoting transition, promoting trans men and gay male spaces, somebody who really actually had a big impact, but um, doesn't seem to have really like analyzed what that may have been. And it's easier to criticize people who came later. I mean, it's, it's, if you're a pioneer and you don't want the other people to show up, like if you've claimed this mountain for yourself, you know what I mean? And then other people start showing up, then it's easy to blame those people. And say, oh, well, they're the ones who are coming here ruining this great thing that I started. But really, was the thing that, that you were working on really so great? You know, and so that's something that I kind of, you know, because I, I mean, I joined a gay male pagan fraternity. And it was a big scandal, you know, but here's the thing, though. And because I try to take accountability for my own actions 
And I don't want to be calling other people out because I don't think that's good. That's taking other people's inventory. I learned in recovery, you're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to take accountability for what our actions are, not try to explain how the other people made it happen, right? But the thing is, is that when I try to talk about things that way, you get the impression that I was like, just there by myself, causing all I understand. this. Yeah. But the thing is, is there were gay men who wanted me there, who had their own reasons for wanting the chaos that I was causing and were encouraging me. And, um, and there was a lot of dysfunction. And I don't want to start talking about all the problems in the gay male community. I don't feel like that's my place. So I don't want to do that. I really don't. But it, it, it makes me sound as if I have like, you know, like a total, like, like a, like a, a God complex, you know, if I talk about all the things that I did, I mean, I, I was just this, like this little pawn sort of, you know what I mean? In a way. Um, but at the same time, I was also driving things. And so it's hard to tell, you know, how much was me and how much was the circumstances and how much was, you know, impact of other people. I think it was really the way I tend to look at things is like, I don't believe in conspiracies. And I kind of think that like, you know, if someone traveled back in time and killed Adolf Hitler, there would have just been a different person who would have been Adolf Hitler, you know, and it's, and there, there's nobody pulling the strings. It's not special personalities that cause history. It's just like, you know, the forces of, you know, capitalism or, you know, whatever is driving human psychology on like a mass level. And um, so I really don't think that individuals are necessarily that important. And if it wasn't me, it would have just been some other guy. And, and that's actually what happened. I joined the gay male fraternity and it was great because it was all men except me. But, you know, I, I was me. So I didn't have to look at me. I was just there. And um, and then they all started showing up these F to M's. Right. Uh -huh. I didn't want them there. Right? <laughs> so, so um, you know, but I opened the floodgates. Right. You know, so so when when I when I hear somebody who is somebody who transitioned, you know, earlier, and it's funny because because I started talking about my detransition, people like anachronistically interpret my story as if it happened later, and as if it, um, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, because detransition like, happens yeah, in a certain yeah. Time, people yeah. imagine there's is there's a certain time and a certain context and and a certain backstory mm -hmm. that people are. You know, people imagine I detransitioned because of turfs. Like there were no, like pe people don't say, oh yeah, Laura, the trans elder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's yeah, not how they look at me. But um, so, but yeah, but so when people are like, and this is the thing, like I really, I, 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 and I know you've evolved a lot. I read some of your earlier tweets just to remind myself of how much, you know, you've changed and stuff. So yeah. and I don't want to start, you know, trying to pick you, you know, apart, but there's just the general... I don't believe in, in, in true trans. If I did, I would think I was true trans and I don't, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I just think it's, it's bullshit. And I really see that as that. I mean, people who are like, well, I'm true trans and we had this great thing. And then these other people with blue hair came and screwed it up. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, it, the, 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 the whole basic thing that created this, 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 um, this, 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 this gaping, um, crumbling um, hole in like our group um, perception of reality, um, you know, as being, you know, based on sex was this concept of transsexualism. You know, it wasn't when the people came with a million different genders and, you know, hair colors and all this made up stuff. That isn't what caused this. It really was the, yeah. the initial yeah. medical, that is what caused it. So if someone is gonna say, <laughs> they want to blame it on these people who came later with all this crazy crap. I just can't, I can't take that yeah. seriously. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, 
So yeah, but no, so that's I'm that's just... the space I was in originally too, because I I kind of got wind of the uh, the cultural, um, you, you know, the, the what they call now the too cute mentality in around 2017, and I had what you were talking about the sense that oh, I'm really trans, and these people are just ruining their lives unnecessarily for a fad. And then you know when I started like encountering the detransitioners and everything, and realizing oh, there's no such thing as true trans. We all do this for whatever reason we do it for. Um, and then, yeah, so I had to slowly wake myself up from that. Um, but I want to ask you, because this is, this, it's, you're saying that when you, it was only recently, like, so you, you went through the whole transition, living as a gay trans man, detransition, went, you know, you know, lived a life, you know, did the whole recovery thing and whatnot. And then only in the last few years, you encountered the Blanchard typology. I imagine you started reading about AGP and you're like, oh, wait, I have, I have the reverse of that. Is that yeah. how that happened? Like, what yeah. did you, how did you do that? It happened, you know, um, shortly after I, um, you know, I started talking about my detransition. So we're talking about literally two years ago. Okay. And time flies. It's been this COVID thing. And uh, yeah, so that um, is something that I had sort of been aware of, though. Um, I had, you know, when I detransitioned, so I guess I could talk about that, but you know, why don't we roll back and... Um, I feel like there was something that I had talked about that I didn't um, finish my train of thought and it was something important and now I don't know what that was, but I wanted to talk a little bit about where I'm at now and also how my autoandrophilia started, in my okay. opinion. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so um, one of the reasons why I you know, took a break from Twitter, we're going to keep calling it my Twitter break, you know, even though it was actually... Um, you know, me being um, canceled um, by Twitter, but whatever. So I, I, um, I, I had developed some pretty serious knee problems last spring um, and I was in a lot of pain and I've had, um, you know, um, arthritis in my knees for a few years, but it reached a point where like I could barely walk. And so, you know, I went to my orthopedist and I was supposed to do physical therapy and I couldn't do the physical therapy. I was so weak. I couldn't even do like the exercises that they have that are basically like for old ladies. Like I couldn't do it. Um, and, you know, they did scans on my legs and I was basically told what I already knew. I knew I was skinny fat, but I was told that like um, that basically I had like really, really, really low amount of muscle for someone my age that it was like shocking and that, you know, and meanwhile, I mean, I've been, you know, walking around, you know, to the extent that I can having, you know, chronic knee pain and, you know, I didn't feel bad, you know, I had been doing more hiking with my son and, and, you know, cause he's getting older and we were able to actually go on hikes and find native wildflowers and pick bear lauk, which is the wild garlic that grows here. I posted pictures of that on Flickr and I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling like I'm slowly starting to get stronger and, and this is good, but then something, you know, went wrong with my knees and it just, um, I basically couldn't walk and I was in a lot of pain and, um, you know, fortunately I was getting, you know, um, all the help that I need, you know, to, to, to deal with being, you know, a, a disabled single mom. Um, so, you know, people don't have to worry about me. People don't have to worry about my son. My son is doing great. I actually had been really worried, um, that there was going to be something wrong with him because of me having taken testosterone all those years ago. Okay. Um, right. But he seems fine so far. He doesn't seem autistic. Um, I mean, I obviously um, didn't get diagnosed with autism until later. So, I mean, I can't rule out that he's autistic, but he's, he's developing normally. He's verbal. He's 
you know, at his age appropriate level. So I have no reason to think he's like super screwed up. And I'm really grateful for that because I worried a lot about that when he was little. So, you know, but I, I, I want to have a good life with him. I want to be an active mother, you know, and being disabled is very frustrating. And for me, the most important thing is giving him the best childhood possible. And that means being as active as I can, because, you know, he really needs that. And um, so, you know, I was getting very frustrated trying to do physical therapy, not really making any progress. And then um, I decided I wanted to try taking an anabolic steroid. So I did. My orthopedist prescribed um, uh, an anabolic steroid and um, it didn't actually help very much, um, but it helped a little bit. But uh, um, and so I was left in a situation where I was like, okay, so do I just do I do I do I um, do I keep taking this hoping it's going to help more, you know, or do I try something else that I have a pretty good idea is actually going to help. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go back on testosterone. Mm. And I got back on testosterone and that's been several months now. So okay. at that point I was like, fuck, now I can't even call myself D trans anymore. I'm like, you know, I, even though I, I don't consider myself to be retransitioning, mm -hmm. I, I don't think this means I'm turning into a man. Um, I don't think any of that stuff. Um, I feel like the issue with, you know, hormone body modding um, among young um, sort of D-trans adjacent um, gender dysphoric women is something where I don't want to promote that at all. I feel like it's not a good thing. I don't think young people should be taking hormones um, regardless of whether they are trans medicalists and think they have a brain disorder that they need to fix or, or if they think that they're actually female, but they want the effects of testosterone and they're more rational about it. If they're, you know, 20 years old, I think they're too young to do that. And, um, I don't want to be a bad role model for mm -hmm. those type of people. You know what I mean? Um, because I see that, you know, happening and I'm like, I mean, that's one of the things that I disagree with about the whole true trans thing is I don't think that people, you know, who have blue hair and think they're non-binary are actually going to be more likely to regret taking medical steps than the people who think that they're true trans. That's, I don't. No, I don't think so either. And I think I think that yeah. the, 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 the yeah. data, the anecdotal data is kind of playing yeah. out in that direction as yeah. well as where it's it's the yeah. it's the people who the, the, the true trans or the true scums yeah. who are now you know, detransitioning and full of regret. Yeah, interesting. And yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah, and not I, what I expected. I, yeah. Yeah, I think that also has something to do with the fact that the blue hair types are more likely to be more um, motivated by something like um, autoandrophilia or autogynophilia, maybe. And I think if you if that really is like a a big part of your sexuality, then you're less likely to regret the changes your body. Maybe I don't know. I um, I don't think so because it seems to me more like those those the the, the blue hair types. Um, it, it seems to be more like it's, it's, it's a cultural decision. Like they've chosen to opt into a know. culture of trans. Um, whereas mm -hmm. I think the people who with, with autoandrophilia or autogynophilia, I think they're quite invested in living and presenting as the opposite sex and tend to fall into the so true trans. Ways that autogynophilia and autoandrophilia can manifest itself. There are, um, there are definitely, um, there definitely are. And people who are attracted to trans people, um, there's like a self other pairing thing that um, a researcher who's an anonymous um, uh, AGP non-trans uh, man that I know um, he's done all these surveys and it seems 
like, you know, it pretty much backs up what has been in like some more official studies that have been done showing that uh, men who are attracted to trans women tend to also have AGP feelings. Mm -hmm. So like people Mm -hmm. who are attracted to androgyny um, are tend to be attracted to androgyny in others and in themselves. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they're actually try to change their body to look more androgynous. If that is something that doesn't go with their sense of their self, maybe they're not going to do that. But tranny chasers tend to also often be AGP. um, And that seems to also be true, although all of the categories are much more fluid because female sexuality is more fluid, um, you know, with women. um, And it seems like there are definitely um, people who want to date trans people and want to be trans and they're going to be more happy. If you're somebody who, um, you know, thinks that transitioning is going to get you access to partners who aren't trans, who normally wouldn't be attracted to you, then that's when you're in being really disappointed, like thinking I could be a gay man, you know, so you're setting yourself up, um, you know, for a lot of disappointment. Um, but there are people who they really, they're, they want T for T, you know, they're, they're interested mm-hmm. in other trans people. And I don't see that as being, I don't feel like, oh, well, they're, they're just, this is some weird, crazy cult culture. I mean, if they're happy doing that, I guess that's fine. My issue is if they're doing it too young, because that's the kind of thing that somebody, I mean, may, you're making permanent changes to your body. That's a big, huge commitment. And, um, you know, I'm totally against children being transitioned. I'm hundred percent against it. When it comes to people who are in their late teens or early twenties and they're not fully mentally ripe. I mean, I, I don't think it's realistic to try to stop them, but I certainly don't want to accidentally encourage them. So that was kind of why I was like, well, if I'm taking testosterone. I don't know if I even want to have a presence in the whole D trans woman space, because there's a lot of people who are coming and going who maybe like come in and they're like, well, I'm desisting from this trans ID. And then they're like, well, I changed my mind. I'm going to go on testosterone. So if I'm there, I'm like, Hey, I'm on testosterone, but I'm still cool. You know, like, it's kind of like, maybe just take a step back, hang out on discord and all these shady places where I can be like, you know, um, comparatively, maybe a good influence. Also, these are males. So me being on testosterone, it's probably not going to be so likely to have a bad influence on them. And it seems like it doesn't, it actually seems like it's been good. I've been able to, in my server that I have, you know, have a space where um, young AGP guys who don't want to transition feel like they can talk to each other without people trying to talk them into wanting to transition. And um, because I don't have a fetish for feminizing, I don't accidentally like have that part of my um, my uh, sexuality get like activated and cause it to interfere with my ability to moderate the chat and prevent pink pilling from happening. So I feel like I'm actually like the ideal person to moderate a space like that compared to like an older AGP man who is a a great person, doesn't want to transition, wants to help other young AGP guys to not transition who are going to regret it, but then still has this fetish for feminization that makes it hard. There's a lot of internal conflict going on then, but because Mm -hmm. I don't have that, um, then I but you understand the sexuality. So you, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. For me, it really feels like, you know, some people will say, Oh, well, AGP and AAP are like totally different for me, for the way I experience it. I feel like it's very similar. Like it really is a mirror image. Um, That's why. Yeah. When, so just, just to throw in my, my experiences, like when, for a while, I thought that I was AAP. Once I, when I learned about AGP, I was like, Oh, do I have the reverse of that? Um, because prior to transitioning, I was, yeah strictly attracted to men. And I did kind of fetishize male, male 
relationships, um, but I didn't have any auto sexuality. And it was actually talking to you that I realized when you were explaining, you know, a year or two ago, when you were explaining to me by a Twitter conversation, what AA, AAP felt to you. I, I, like, I, I definitely don't. What's up? <laughs> Was I talking about mirror masturbation or something? No, 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 no. You were talking. No, it's basically. I think. I think it probably had more to do with your experience of like the sex, the sex addiction component. Because I definitely don't. I'm. I'm. I'm more on the basically celibate end of of when it comes to like. Uh, I'm. De- I'm not. I'm not asexual at all. But I mean, I'm. I'm definitely. I'm the farthest thing from a sex addict. But um. So I was celibate for many years uh, post transition because it's just easy to be. But um. But for me, it was actually uh, taking testosterone that essentially eradicated my attraction, my attraction to males, and focused mm-hmm. my attractions towards females. So I think if I were actually autoandrophilic, it wouldn't have happened that way. Um, but I don't know. You might have a theory on that, or yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not here to type you. Um, oh damn it! <laughs> I, um, I, I kind of I I favor like an expansive um a uh, uh, definition of autogynephilia or autoantrophilia rather than like um a uh, a narrow one that only is applied to people who like are obviously having some serious problems <laughs> um yeah you don't have to have like i was saying earlier or did that part get cut off i guess i shouldn't have done the restarting thing because now i'm not sure which part went oh yeah that but okay i was talking about how um a paraphilic um, interest or paraphilic sexual orientation doesn't necessarily have to um, imply a paraphilic disorder. And that the w- way I look at a paraphilic disorder is it's not that someone is just more paraphilic, it's that they have whatever their sexuality is, and then they have a sex addiction in addition to that. And it's the sex yeah. addiction that causes the problems. So I, I guess I'm, I'm like a bad example or a good example, depending on, you know, um, you know, what your, your goal is, I guess, of, you know, some of the autoantrophilia. I don't think that you have to have a sex addiction to have autoantrophilia or autogynephilia. So just because you don't have a sex addiction doesn't mean you don't have autoantrophilia. Right, right. No, I, yeah, yeah. But I'm curious. And meta-attraction. Meta-attraction. Right. That's what the, the original Blanchardians called pseudo-bisexuality. And um, I don't like the term pseudobisexuality because it's like it invalidates the sexuality of, of people who are experiencing meta attraction, right? But meta attraction, that is a term um, that basically um, means like if you're um, a, a, an autogynephilic male and you are essentially heterosexual, but then you become attracted to men because. Um, the attraction uh, to them validates your sense of self. Validates that they're attracted to you, and that that means you're an attractive mm-hmm. woman or whatever. And so, um, and but the thing is, is you know, um, the original Blanchardians would say that um, someone with autogynephilia has to be heterosexual, and that any attraction to males they have is actually pseudo bisexuality. It's not real, but that apparently isn't true. Um, and so, you know, and I think with females it's even less true. Like the, you know, homosexuality is complicated. And, and a lot of people like to say it's simple, like, oh, well, homosexuals have an opposite sex shifted brain. Well, they probably don't all, you know, and there's probably different etiologies for why people are homosexual or bisexual. And one of them might be autogynephilia or autoandrophilia. I actually know a man who 
um, is in a long-term um, relationship with another man who was previously married to a woman. He never attempted to transition. He has AGP feelings. He, um, uh, I guess it's probably ideologically like a heterosexual AGP, but he lives as a gay man. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's actually all that rare, but that isn't acknowledged. People, people see, um, they think autogynephilia automatically means, um, you know, somebody who is going to become a trans woman um, and or somebody who is going to be, you know, a, a sex addict whose autogynephilia is going to be a problem for other people. And neither of those is true. Um, you know, there's different ways that, um, you know, certain types of um, feelings can influence what, how someone ends up, you know, living their life. And right now you have the trans ideology though, which is telling young people who have these kinds of feelings that there's only um, one way to deal with them. And that is by um, transitioning and simultaneously um, denying them and denying what they actually are. And, and that's one of the things I think is an issue when in these GC spaces, you know, autogynephilia and autoantrophilia are seen as, um, you know, something that you just absolutely cannot admit to having. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, people, you know, um, you know, are going to say you're the same as a pedophile and all this stuff. So it, it, in order for somebody to be able to um, have a healthy, uh, um, you know, uh, sense of, you know, who they are and their sexuality, they can't be being forced to repress something that is, you know, as, you know, important as that, um, you know, and, and not acknowledge it. And, and that is what actually tends to make a lot of people want to transition. And that's the thing that I was finding and, you know, discord and, you know, peeking into 4chan, some people say, oh, well, you shouldn't try to raise awareness about AGP because then that will just have the effect of causing young people to develop it as a social contagion and then want to transition. Well, they're already getting that from being exposed to the trans ideology uh-huh. and the ideology um, uh, is, is telling them that that means they have to transition. And there are certainly people who have AGP and acknowledge it, who still think that um, transition is the solution and um, want to promote transition, um, you know, but, the, but at least there's the potential to have a realistic understanding of things and um, to come to a different conclusion. Whereas with the trans ideology, it's basically saying, if you have these feelings, this means you are trans and you have to transition. Um, so I think it's good for, it would be good for people to be able to learn about it, but when it's become so stigmatized, it just makes it, it's just, it's, it's really destructive because then you have these young people who, um, are finding out about this, uh, about their sexuality. They're finding out about, you know, um, AGP and they're simultaneously finding out about the stigma. Um, it's not as if, mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff that the, that, um, you know, the GCs, um, that are in it more for entertainment than because they actually care about things are, are doing and saying where, you know, stays in some sort of a bubble. No, you know, you have teenage boys looking at these, you know, pictures of rape puns, Hun is what they call non-passing trans women. So the idea is, oh, well, if, if, if you don't transition right away when you're a teen and maybe hopefully be passable, then you're going to look like some man who just wants to rape people. And, and then these GCs are going to be making fun of you, basically. So you have these young boys who are feeling pressured. And that is like one of the main things that is used with the pink, you know, the pink pill and people who are trying to encourage other people to transition as young as possible is so that they won't be seen as these monstrous AGPs. Because all these young people who are in these places like 4chan and on Discord, they know what AGP is. 
It's not that they don't, but if they go into a GC space, then they have to deny it and pretend that they're not AGP. And that's really terrible. I've seen young D-trans men, um, you know, um, who have a relatively, you know, sane understanding of like how they got to where they are. And then when they try to talk about their experiences, watching as they then realize, oh my gosh, I can't actually even talk about this honestly, or these people who are the only people who are offering me support are going to hate me. So now I have to like edit my story and, um, and, and repress certain parts of it. And, um, you know, and I don't think this is healthy and I think it's going to lead to people. It's um, prolonging the, the, the trend. It's, it's, it's going to, it's going to lead to people, um, you know, transitioning who wouldn't otherwise, because they think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically a monster, you know, either way. And maybe, you know, um, uh, you know, if I transition, I can at least have like accepting community. I can't just live as a man with AGP because that's considered, you know, like this horrible thing. I can't like, you know, um, you know, pe- being told again and again, no woman would want a man across dresses. That's not true. I'd be happy with a man across dresses. And I, I'm not a good example, but there are other women <laughs> who would. Um, so um, it's just, you know, uh, it's, it's really, um, you know, if you want to prevent, um, you know, AGPs from transitioning in mass and you want people to be honest, with themselves, you know, about what their motivations are, then you can't be promoting this kind of stigma. And um, I think a lot of people who detransition, um, but don't realize that they their transition was motivated by AGP or, or, or autoandrophilia um, will end up um, uh, potentially retransitioning because they'll go into another cycle of it being more active, especially if they're people who have other problems, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's personality disorder, sex addiction, whatever. Um, we've seen the problems that um, Jamie Shupp has had. And mm-hmm. even um, with, with him being self-aware, he's somebody who has serious problems. But most people with AGP are not um, as sick as he is. But he really, mm-hmm. he wants to do the right thing. I loved your interview yeah. with him. I have so much compassion for him. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's difficult because um, you have um, only people who are very obviously struggling, you know, with mental illness and sex addiction as being like the face of AGP. And, um, you know, and then some of these guys that I know from, from um, uh, Discord, you know, we wanted to actually make a website, but then as I was getting, starting to get back into Twitter, we were just seeing all of this stigma. I was like, there's nothing we can do. These people won't listen to us. Like there's, this isn't even about gender critical or anything political or wanting to protect children from medical transition or support teacher transitions. This is really, this is like a spectator sport of yeah. like hating APs. And yeah. that's really, there's no point in even trying like, I was going like, to say, give me their names and we'll, we'll, we'll interview them uh, on transparency. But, um, but right now, I don't think that's a good climate for that. They will be um, uh, subject to, to a lot of abuse uh, currently. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm probably, people are going to probably pick this apart too, you know, cause I don't say everything yeah. absolutely, but you know, whatever. Anyway, I, um, I just, you know, I'm glad that I know I have autoantrophilia. Um, you know, it's possible to be aware that you have, autoandrophilia or autogynophilia and still think that that means uh that, that and still think that and still think that, that 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 there's no contradiction with the trans ideology like there's some trans women who admit they have agp but they're like but other women do too 93 percent so i'm like no and and because the thing is is it's like there are women who have something that is agp like and they're so obviously not normal that that kind of proves that normal women don't have agp right yeah, and just yeah. think 
Same thing with men. I mean, there are gay men who have something that is very similar to autoandrophilia. And I would argue also straight men, um, you know, who maybe are only meta attracted to women. Mm-hmm. Bodybuilders. They're really, they're more into their own um, autoandrophilia than into the women. The women are there to complement um, their. I agree. Uh, yep. Yeah, that doesn't mean it has to be a bad relationship. I mean, right. meta attraction is bad. And, and I've said some things that would probably offend some people. Like I think some butch lesbians who are really into butch femme are probably meta attracted autoandrophiles. That doesn't mean anything bad. It doesn't mean they don't mm-hmm. love their girlfriend. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything like that. Um, I've spoken to one who, who openly admits that. Yeah. Yeah, the problem is, is, is that um, the, the whole concept has become so loaded that anything you say, if something is, um, if you're suggesting that something could have something to do with autoandrophilia or autogynophilia, that's obviously a negative. And anything that you're saying that isn't that, that must be a positive. But that's not true. I mean, I've encountered ROGD boys on, um, you know, Discord who I don't think have um, uh, autogynophilia, who have something like the TOCD, Transgender Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. And for them, it's not sexual at all. They are just, um, they've developed gender dysphoria through just an obsession with the idea of being able to pass as a woman, even though it's like not, they're not gender non-conforming, it's not sexual, and they have this crippling gender dysphoria. And, um, you know, so there are mental illnesses that can cause um, uh, that can cause people to develop gender dysphoria. And I really think you could, you could make like a multi-factor analysis and you could be like, okay, you know, uh, autogynophilia or autoandrophilia, autism, trauma, um, personality disorders, you know, all these different things. And then, you know, have, you know, sex addiction, you know, see, you know, how, how it lines up and what somebody um, is dealing with, what are all the um, contributing factors that would cause them to develop gender dysphoria. And for me, um, I know you, you have your organization called Gender Dysphoria Alliance. I hate the concept of gender dysphoria because, um, you know, I really think it's like a meme, uh, you know, and I, I don't have gender dysphoria. And that's, again, the true trans would, would say I'm a too cute, I guess, because I'm on testosterone and I don't have gender dysphoria. But um, I'm, um, you know, I, I, I'm taking it for reasons because I think it's actually helping me physically, but maybe it's not. I recently actually just hurt myself working out. So now I'm like, oh, shit, am I going to like lose all my muscle? I've been working so hard. Um, but, you know, it's like, OK, I'm like, I want to get strong so I can like do stuff with my son, but then I'm like, I have autoandrophilia underphilia and I just want to get buff and I can't because I I have health problems and that's what caused all this. And that's the thing I want to talk to. I see we're running out of time. I I want to talk. Some people will say, you know, that autoandrophilia or autogynophilia um, is uh, it's, it's something that people develop because of like trauma. And if you can figure out what caused it, it'll go away. It's like breaks the spell. No, in my experience, no. That doesn't mean people shouldn't have to, shouldn't try to figure out what caused it or shouldn't, you know, really, you know, if they're thinking about medically transitioning, I mean, people should really do a lot of self-analysis. And that's one of the things that the idea of gender dysphoria kind of conceals things. It's like, it's easier to say, oh, it's gender, like if I could, I could describe, like, I'm glad that with everything I've been going through, I'm, I'm not experiencing gender dysphoria. If I didn't know how to um, name some of my feelings, which I <clears throat> see as being autoandrophilia, I would probably think I had gender dysphoria. And then I would actually have dysphoria that I don't have now because I have better vocabulary. But the thing is, so, you know, gender dysphoria conceals what these other things are. Um, but then- but just to interrupt you, just to explain, like, that's what we're doing with gender dysphoria yeah, alliance, yeah. is explaining what 
what's being lumped under the title okay, of gender okay, dysphoria because it's, okay, it's yeah, kind of a yeah. nonsense term. You're right. That, Sorry, I don't mean to be yeah, like calling you. Yeah. No. But so I'm like, I'm just like peeling the onion. I'm like, okay, so gender dysphoria. Then it's like autoangiophilia. Then it's like, well, actually there's, there is like a history of like trauma and there's weird dynamics that like led to this. But then it's like, well, does understanding all that make it go away? And for me, the answer is no, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, some people, they think it's innate. You know, some, some people, you know, they, they think it's innate. Um, I don't, I also don't think that homosexuality necessarily is innate. And it's funny because some of the same people who, um, uh, you know, uh, will be very upset by someone suggesting that, um, uh, that homosexuality might not be innate, um, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> it's very upset when you say H-E-P is innate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's kind of a, you know. We're going to have um, Mike but, Bailey on soon, you know, uh, 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 Michael Bailey. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he and I have been going back and forth on that AGP innate. I, I don't, um, I, I lean towards it's not. He obviously leans towards it is. And, um, and obviously certainly that homosexuality is. And I think in a lot of cases, homosexuality is not innate, but in a lot of cases it is. I think it's, I think it's, it, it's, it's not as cut and dry as, as a lot of activists would like it to be. So, so basically, um, uh, I, uh, you know, I think that people probably have to have some sort of a predisposition. Yeah. Um, and it does really seem like it runs in families. Um, I yeah, know and I wonder how much of that is environmental influence, though. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, in, um, Ludwig, he's actually my ancestor. Like, I have multiple generations in my family tree of people who apparently, I don't know enough about the women, but men who had autogynephilia. These are people who lived a hundred years ago. <laughs> they didn't have an environmental influence on me. Um, I really think it's, it's, there's a genetic component, which is probably okay. um, not something we're ever gonna figure out. Or maybe for some people there are, for some people there aren't. There could be different etiologies for homosexuality, different etiologies for something like AGP or AAP. Um, I, and I also tend to think that if, if um, AGP and AAP are caused by some of the same genes that also a lot of the people who have whatever that is, because there's the self other pairing are going to be people who just have an interest in androgyny and in gender transformations, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily going to be applied to themselves. And I think that the issue, which is one of the things I wanted to point out that people didn't want to hear about it. I think a lot of the mothers who are transitioning their children have a paraphilia and whatever it is that's motivating them is probably caused by some of the same innate things that also can cause someone to have autogynephilia or autoangiophilia. And I'm so grateful that I am um, not one of these women who is obviously completely not aware of what she's doing. I don't think they like, they really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I don't think they like, mean to be preying on their children, but I do think that that is an aspect. And so the idea that women can't have paraphilias, I think is problematic because if you're trying to analyze like, why are some of these fucked up things happening? You have to acknowledge that female sexuality is not, um, you know, all like, you know, uh, just, you know, like totally harmless. Passive and relational. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so I, um, I feel like my health problems uh, played a big role and you could say, oh, okay, well, those are just, we, we, we can't know. It's like Leibniz and his, his windowless monads, like, you know, um, nothing had any really, you have this, this life story that seems to imply like it had, that it had some causal effect on you having autoangiophilia, but actually 
you would have had autoantrophilia no matter what your life was like, because this is innate thing. I don't believe that. I think it's both. Okay. You know, yeah. there's a predisposition, but then I think it's very clear. I mean, we have examples. There have been studies that have been done, like the rats with vest studies, where they tricked rats into developing a fetish for rats wearing a vest. Do you know about that? No, I don't. I don't. Okay, it's amazing. <laughs> it's obvious that, and then that, and that is why nowadays with the um, trans ideology and also you know porn and stuff that young people are getting um, conditioned into developing paraphilias that they wouldn't have otherwise. I really yeah, do believe yeah. that. I think it's a horrible problem. Um, and it used to be that someone had to ha have more like of an unlucky set of circumstances that would lead to developing a paraphilia, I think, which is what made it rarer. So I think it is becoming more common. So in my, my case, oh, yeah. um, I was gender nonconforming. Um, I was a tomboy, but I couldn't be athletic because I was weak and I was always hurting myself. And that was because I had undiagnosed um, hypermobility syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos hypermobility type. So I have weak um, connective tissue and especially my joints. And from an early age, I was like, I, I couldn't like play team sports. I was getting hurt. Um, and that was for me really bad because I had this identity of myself being a tomboy um, and I wanted to be, um, you know, um, athletic. And I, I adored my father um, uh, and he was very athletic. And I started as a toddler um, cross-dressing in his clothes. And, and I was obsessed with his athletic equipment for different sports he played. I wanted to be a big, strong man. Mm -hmm. That was what I wanted to be when I grew up. And um, so you could say, okay, well, that's like gender non-conforming child. But then it's like, somewhere along the line, it, it got eroticized, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and, and um, uh, if you read the, the case studies of um, men who have been labeled as having autoantrophilia, ironically, the sexologists who don't like to think that women can have paraphilias, they have used the word autoantrophilia to talk about um, a, a paraphilic sexuality in men, but not in women. And I don't actually think that my sexuality is the same as those men. I, I, I if I did, that would be like an, an autogynophile man saying that um, he's like the same as a woman or whatever. I think female sexuality and male sexuality are, are different, but at the same time, like um, I see a lot of parallels, um, you know, like the, the study was, it was a guy who basically was this, he was just a weak, wimpy guy. And he was obsessed with this idea of being like a muscular, masculine man. And, um, you know, if he hadn't been a weak, wimpy guy, if he had been someone who was able to, um, achieve those goals, then no one would have thought he had a paraphilia. So it's like, is that even a paraphilia? And I almost wonder, I don't necessarily think that guy had a paraphilia. I think I do because I'm a woman and that's what makes it weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it, and, 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 uh, you know, my, my, my goals, um, you know, in terms of what I wanted to look like, you know, we're, we're so out of touch with reality that um, I just oh, I don't okay. can really qualify as like normal sexuality um, you know, and so for me, it was uh, something that um, you're saying because it's because it's visually obvious or what do you mean? No, no. I mean, mentally, I mean, I, you know, I'm female. Like, so the 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 the, um, the disconnect with the reality of my body and with the fantasy is like. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, it, it's, it, it, yeah. So 
Um, so there's that. And, you know, I guess um, that's what I mean by visible, like that, that like if, if you were okay. male and you were still fixated on an idea of being a big, strong man, it wouldn't be visible. It wouldn't be. Okay. But that actually obvious. brings something else up that I wanted to mention, which is, um, you know, I've sometimes thought, you know, if only my chest hadn't been botched, if only I had gotten, you know, a body more like what I wanted, you know, like, um, would that have, would I have lived happily ever after? And that's something that I used to think about when I was first detransitioning, when I was miserable and I hadn't really like reclaimed the fact that I'm female yet, but I just realized that my transition had gone down in flames and, and didn't know, you know, what to do um, from there. And I remember feeling like, wow, like I could have been like a normal person. I could have been like a, a trans man who could like pass in a sauna and like, you know, you wouldn't, if I had gotten the chest that I wanted that I thought that I was going to get, you know, um, you know, and, and, um, you know, so I thought, I guess, you know, that would like that my sexuality was abnormal and transition was supposed to make me normal. Right. And it failed to do that. So then there's the question of, OK, so am I um, like this freak auto androphile because my transition failed? And if my transition had been successful, would I have been cured and actually just a normal gay trans man? And I think that is bullshit. And to be honest, anytime someone tells me like what you were saying about how you're now attracted to women, so you don't think you're um, an autoandrophile anymore. Anytime someone tells me that transition has cured them of anything, I just feel like I have to call bullshit. I, I, I don't think that um, making these kinds of drastic permanent body modifications is always um, a terrible thing to do. If I thought that I wouldn't be back on testosterone now, but um, the idea of it as being a treatment for anything or that it can make somebody more normal and less abnormal, I think is very problematic and dangerous. Yeah, I didn't you know? mean that it cured it. Like I, I meant it more almost sarcastically. Like, um, like I know I, I shouldn't be on male levels of testosterone. Like that's not that's not a real medical solution for a weird sexuality. Um, but I just meant like like um, I, I I also don't believe that autoandrophilia was a motivation for transition for me because I didn't I didn't actually conceptualize living as a gay man. I was just kind of horrified by anything on my body that that didn't didn't reflect male. Um, and yeah. it wasn't, and it wasn't auto either. It wasn't like I was aroused by the idea of being male. Um, it was, it was, it was, it's hard to really explain. So it's like, it, it's hard to kind of compare it to auto androphilia. Um, but it's, but it's certainly not like the, the heteroset or the homosexual motivation of, of transition. Um, but it was only after starting testosterone that my, when I was, it's weird too, when I was on 0.25 cc's a week, I was pretty baseline bisexual, like pretty middle of the road bisexual, whereas I'd been totally heterosexual before, totally attracted to men. And then, and then when my testosterone levels, when I, my, my uh, prescription was doubled to uh, 0.5 per week is when my, my attraction to men basically completely disappeared um, and is now entirely- That's interesting. And I'm, and I'm not trying to like tell you that your experience isn't valid. I just- I, I have a real sensitivity for anything that um, implies that transition um, is a cure for um, for anything, really. Yeah, but it's yeah, yeah. The, 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 the stuff with um, with the sexuality, um, you know, it could be seen in a sense as being a conversion therapy thing. Then and and um, and when it comes to um, AGPs, a huge part of why 
they um, they want to transition is because they think it's going to allow them to be normal women instead of abnormal men and are so wrong. (laughs) So, um, you know, out of mostly from my perspective, out of compassion for them, not out of concern for the other people that, you know, are going to be made uncomfortable. um, I think it's important for them to realize that it's not going to make them more normal. And, you know, we have this Italian study that recently came out showing that even bisexuals tend to be um, not attracted to androgynous people. So you really are by medically trained you're shrinking your dating pool a lot. You're shrinking it to people who probably have a gender bending paraphilia. Um, and most people have the uncanny Valley feeling, you know, when they see androgynous bodies. And so this is an interesting new study that came out and like people really need to be made aware of this stuff um, that you can't become, you know, um, a, a gay man or a straight man or a, a lesbian or a, a straight woman. Um, and that if you transition, you're going to be mostly attracting um, other trans people or some people who have a similar related mm-hmm. interest in gender bending. And that's a very small pool of people who tend to also have other comorbidities. It's, it's interesting <laughs> that you said that earlier, because I didn't, I didn't realize, I, I didn't realize that, um, that, that, um, cause I've always kind of been drawn towards androgyny. That's like kind of yeah. my first, my first, um, uh, you know, like kind of sexual, uh, it was like a 13 years old and I like seen Rocky horror picture show and whatnot. And so maybe oh, yeah. I was, maybe I was culturally groomed into this as well. I don't know, but, but I did, it was like, like immediate, like, Oh, that was maybe good. you just have autoandrophilia. What's up? And maybe you just have autoandrophilia. And it's part of a broader gender bending kink that is driving you under your. <laughs> but again, my, my, I think I, I got my, I'm so, un, I'm just not, sexually motivated in any like it doesn't like um and again that's something I, I used to associate i see you you know i see you flirting with gc gay men on twitter like little comments and likes so. <laughs> not intentionally okay, okay. yeah okay. yeah no fine um no but it's, it's not- so, so once i once I, when I say that I'm entirely attracted to, to so um, mm. I'm entirely attracted to females. I'm, I'm quite, and I don't, I've been accused of having like a, a trans kink. That's not, that's not the case. I, but I am predominantly attracted to, to masculinized women, you know, like to, 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 um, to, to trans men. You, you know, know? There, there's a name for that. There's a name for that. Amp instead of GAMP. GAMP is. Okay. Um, the- I only learned what GAMP was like last week. Amp okay. is being attracted to butches and trans men. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It all correlates. But, but that is kind of the auto thing because it's like I'm reflecting back at myself what I am, you yeah. know? Right. Yeah. 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 All these okay. things I'm discovering quite recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. And it, it yeah. all, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, and it's just, and it's confusing for me because it's like my main thing is it's like I really want to what I'm interested in is, is, is basically trying to do what I can to make it less likely that young people are going to end up, um, you know, harming themselves. And it's like, for me, it's like, you know, I have my, my sexuality and it's fun and it's fascinating, but it's like, it's like, well, I don't really know how I can, you know, bridge the gap here because people don't understand, you know, it's like, I can talk about sexuality And it's like, what I'm talking about is something that's like, you know, for adults, like, I don't think young people should be transitioning to pursue, you know, a fetish, even if they have that, you know, even if that is their sexuality, I really think people need to wait because even if someone um, uh, is actually going to be 
glad that they transitioned. Like it's, it's something that like, they're going to want to do eventually. Anyway, I really feel like, um, the, 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 you know, in terms of the health effects and particularly like the loss of fertility, people really need to wait, you know, people really need to wait. And, and so that's, that's my, my take on it, but I don't think that it's, um, I don't think that adults shouldn't be able to, to modify their bodies. I don't see it as necessarily a transition. We keep using these words in this vocabulary. And I actually, at the beginning, yeah. I wanted to try to introduce some new words, but then it's like, how am I going to like come in here with a new vocabulary? We were, you were just posting about how people shouldn't do that. Like we talk about, you know, transition and everyone knows what we're talking about. Right. But to me, the whole idea that what I'm doing now by putting testosterone in my body means that I'm transitioning is, is false. I see it all as like, it's this construct. And when you use those words, it's like, I feel like right now I'm in a place where like, I don't want to be like the, the person who's asking for like special pronouns, but I feel like my take on things is actually like more reality based. And I wish there was some kind of a way to get that across. I don't want to um, think of myself and have to present myself as a trans man, just because I'm taking testosterone, because I don't think I'm becoming a man. I don't even think that my body is becoming more male in some way, or that there's something, um, I mean, we all, you know, um, you know, it, it, and that might sound like I'm like in denial of something, but like, I, I don't think I am. Like, I think, I, I think I'm right. And I, I see people talking about even people who are like, you know, detrans people who are very critical of transition. They'll talk about it as if it's puberty or whatever. It's not, I'm not going through puberty. And to me right now, like, you know, it's so obvious. I mean, it wasn't obvious at the time because I was in this fantasy land. I was like, wow, I'm going through male puberty. This is, but you know, now I don't feel that way. I'm like, you know, I'm taking a medication. It has these effects on my body. And because of my autoangiophilia, you know, I probably, if I could convince myself to start looking at it that way, again, that would probably be very arousing for me, but I don't do it because I think it's creepy. I, mm -hmm. I, 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 and that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm choosing I'm in such a different place than I was when I was younger. Um, you know, I'm not out of control sexually. And like, that's the thing is it's like, I've actually started having sex again, like with other people, like not just with myself, right? Like I'm not celibate anymore. And like, I'm, and I, I wonder, I'm like, am I playing with fire? Is this all about you? This could be, this would be the interview. People would be like, well, that was right before she went off the deep end. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I don't think I'm going to. Like, January 23rd, 2020, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see what happens with that. But I, um, like, I think I'm actually, you know, considering all the difficulties I have as like a disabled single mom, I think I'm doing relatively okay. I don't know about, you know, this decision to be taking testosterone again, if it's going to end up for health reasons, having been a wrong decision. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case, but I don't feel like it's like, I don't feel like I'm like, I relapsed on drugs. Like, that's not how I feel. Like, I feel like, you know, I'm making, you know, sane, rational decisions and I'm not retreating into a fantasy land and I'm not, you know, um, uh, yeah. And I, and that's what I want for other people. Like if people are going to, you know, be making such, um, you know, profound decisions that are going to have such a profound effect on their body. Like I want them to be sane when they're making those decisions, not caught up in some sort of a, a euphoric reverie, not driven by dysphoria where they feel like they're going to kill themselves if they don't do it. Like that just sounds like a rescue for disaster. And that's one of the reasons why I, I hate this whole thing. I, I fantasize and we're going to have to end now because my son is going to be walking through the door yep. um, uh, uh, about an alternative timeline 
where um, the whole trans medical industry, which is based on this idea of born in the wrong body, and this is a treatment to alleviate suffering, had never existed. Mm -hmm. It never existed. But, um, uh, you know, autogynephilia and autoandrophilia were well-known things. There's actually another um, AGP non-trans man who's a cross-dresser who's super cool, who thinks he's going to be able to introduce a new word since AGP um, has gotten so stigmatized, which also will cover AAP. He wants to call it auto-heterosexuality, and he thinks he's going to be able to get rid of the stigma. I don't know if it'll work, but if that was something- It won't work, but it makes sense. <laughs> that, people, that people knew about, and the people knew that some people like that like to modify their bodies, and it wasn't something that then meant that you were legally changing your sex and all the the crap that has come along with that wouldn't that be a better timeline so then i wonder if if you if you don't like all of the problems that have come with you know um uh you know uh all of the legal fictions and all that stuff and you you don't like you know child transition and stuff then it seems like you would want to destigmatize um adults being able to make um, rational, sane choices about their bodies, you know, in a consensual think, way, yeah. you know, what I mean? um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm at now. And, um, we really do need to wrap up. Uh, okay. do you have any okay. comments? I didn't look, I, I missed a whole bunch of things. I wanted to talk about a whole lot of, a whole lot of shit and that I didn't get to, but, um, well, if you ever want to, we can, we can have the conversation again, uh, maybe yeah. with a, uh, maybe with a willing, um, uh, uh, autogynophile, uh, yeah, no, I down the road, that might be a fun pair. That would be great. I think we'll, we'll have yeah. to, well, we'll, we, he, he won't be able to be on camera though. Like, they're okay. so yep. Yep. yep, these yep. crazy G's. I, and I, I don't blame, I, I don't want to encourage any of them to put themselves out there and then have something bad happen. I feel like exactly, um, yeah, yeah, it seems, it seems to be like the scariest time right now with, with, with regards yeah. to that. Hopefully, it'll subside soon but yeah thank you so much for your time uh laura yeah, this, no i think problem. this will be really useful for a lot of people okay, i hope so um and let's see was there do, was there anything i said that was confusing where you had like a question about it or any um i think there were a few things along the way but i think i interrupted you and asked you to go back or i don't know i feel like uh maybe we missed out on something but that's okay. i think there was a whole lot we could have expanded on but yeah, was, yeah all little, right um, not too okay, much time. Wait, so we'll wrap up and i'm glad we got to do this and um i hope you have a great rest of your day it's uh i guess it's early where you are so thank you for getting up first thing yeah. Okay. yeah yeah thanks so much all right bye-bye thanks for joining us for this episode of the transparency podcast if you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.